Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's just pray as we start tonight. Thank you, God. Lord, we come hungry to this place. And we pray that what we look at, you would open it prophetically to our minds, to our hearts, to our spirits. Lord, for us here and for all those at home watching, that you would bless them. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit, to show us the way. And as we look at our minds, we, we, we pray about our own minds, God, our own mentalities. Have mercy on us, God, and, and show us the way. Be that lamp onto our feet. We ask it for this night and for every day of the future. God, lead us on and transform us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're doing a, a series at the moment called Hearts and Minds. And basically the concept is, if you remember, Jesus once said that we must love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. And the truth is, many believers, I, I think when you understand that Jesus died on the cross for you, you fall in love with Christ with your heart. And we love him. I, I, I don't doubt that. But still, transformation doesn't take place that way. Just loving God doesn't change us. He says we must love him with all our strength. So there's energy, there's things we need to put into this Christian life. And then the real crucial bit, in my opinion, the mind. We must be renewed by the, the transformation of our thinking. And like it or not, you have a mentality. And the purpose of this series, and it may be quite a lengthy series, we may revisit it at, at, in, in future months, because I think we need to nail down some mentalities, some mindsets that are right here in this place. Some mindsets that you may have had for years and years that should have been broken. What, you've been saved 10 years now? And you're still the same? That's no good. And something needs to, at some point, I accept that scripture. I, at some point, I accept that when I got saved, the only part of me that was renewed is here was my spirit, not my mind. And you, I, I, if I'm not careful, I'll live the rest of my days with no change in me until I come to accept that I really need to change this mind I have. I think every one of us, as you read the Gospels particularly, you'll hear that term come up, the apostle Jesus loved. Remember that? When it's talking of John the apostle, and like me, you may well have asked yourself at some time, did Jesus love John? more than the other apostles because at a surface reading that's exactly what it looks like did he no so why does the bible say then when referring to john the apostle refer to him as the apostle whom jesus loved answer because john out of the 12 was the one who had done most restoration on his mind that love was available to them all that love is available to all of us but so often the Christian world looks as if it's got haves and have-nots. Well, it does, actually. The Christian world does have haves and have-nots. It is those who have renewed their mind and those who have not renewed their mind. That's the difference. God is the same to all. The same blessing, the same strength, the same power is available to all. But only some access that. And they're the haves, those who have power, have strength. Have blessing in their lives. Which one are you? It's not based on God, remember. 
It's not God who determines how blessed you are. It's you. The same door is open. The same blessing is available to all. It is you who, has, who have determined that thus far in your life by the extent to which you have done exactly what we're talking about. To the extent to which you have renewed your mind. And John is to be credited because out of the twelve, he was the one who did the most work upstairs. Amen? Now, remember in Deuteronomy, it's a famous Old Testament scripture. When Moses goes before the people and he says, I set before you this day what? Life and death. Therefore, choose life. And he was basically saying to the people, God has given us a covenant. He's given us a list of laws here. And under the old covenant, if they had lived by those laws, there was a degree of life, blessing, favor that was available to them, right? Amen? That was the old covenant. But the same principle of life or death, the haves, the have-nots, the same principle is in the new covenant, except it affects the mind. Paul says this. He says the carnal mind is death. There's your death. But the spiritual mind is life. And it's the same governing principle under the old covenant. If the Jews lived a certain way, followed certain laws, there was life for them, promised that God would oversee them. But in the New Testament, and you're a born-again believer, right? Well, then it's a different covenant. And this time, the life is in the mind, comes, flows from your mind. And Paul says, therefore, it's like choose life. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Under the old covenant, it was an external thing. It was works that they did, right? Things they had to do and adhere to. Under the new covenant, it's an internal change. Basically, when I got saved, nothing changed inside of me. My mind, that is. The carnal man did not change. And if I'm not careful, I'll live my whole life just like that. And you know the story as well as I do. I'm sure you could look at your own life or look at those around you. Many people get saved and it's just, it, it doesn't measure up. It doesn't add up. Something's wrong. Saved 20 years and no miracles? Huh? Reading this Bible all this time? Have you been sitting there? Philip, have you been here this long? And you still actually have a carnal mind? No wonder then there's no fruit. No wonder it seems like death, right? There's, there, there should be much more issuing out of our lives. But the truth is, many get saved and within a few, maybe they get a bit excited for a year or something, and then they revert back to their old selves. Revert back to that old way of thinking. And over these last few weeks, we've named a few of these typical mentalities. What were they? Poverty mentality, right? Comes right out of religion. It's natural, I think, to the human nature. Poverty-mindedness and how we had to break that. Manna mentality, a handout, the world owes me a living mentality. That will kill you. That's a living death. An inferiority complex, grasshopper mentality, we called that. And last Sunday night, I think the most important one, carnal mentality which is an umbrella term that really, if we're not careful, we can all, as I say, spend our whole lives doing. Tonight we're going to look at a different thing, and that is breaking better than mentality. And what I mean by that is this. It's tempting and it's easy for us as people to always feel that other people are 
better than us or quite the reverse, to feel that we are better than other people. And either one of those mentalities, either one of those mindsets are going to see you stumped in your Christian life. And this sort of thing only comes to the surface when you're asked to do something, very often. Only comes to the surface when God starts to come into your life and put a few challenges your way. For instance, if you were asked to lead the worship or something, you may not think you have a better than mentality. You may think, well, I'm not like that, aren't you? We ask you to lead the worship or something. Maybe you're a worship leader, you know. And many people say, no, because I'm not as good as Eileen. You got it. I'm not as good as. And the instant that you're asked to do something, so often the carnal mind immediately turns to a comparison. And many Christians, this is a ministry stopping problem, by the way. Many Christians live their whole lives not proceeding in God, Because every time God offers something or brings something, the instantaneous thought is, I'm not as good as someone else. That's a better than mentality, a comparison mentality, and it's got to go. From the day you're born, this world wants you to set a a value, a price tag upon yourself, and you can't do that. You know, this is my price tag here, the Son of God. That's what God thinks of me. That's my value. My value is in Jesus, in his death. That's what God thinks of me. That much. Eternal love. Awesome what God thinks of me. There is my value. But from the day you're born, your schooling, your society, maybe not your parents. Maybe you had good parents who understood these things. But in most cases, society tries to get you and brainwash you to have a value system. And that's based upon the family you come from the amount of money you have, the type of education you've had, your social class, and your looks. And they want you, and subconsciously, subliminally, as you grow up, you find that all these things are actually taking place in your mind. Where you're born, who your parents are, what you've learned, these things affect your mentality. And you can very quickly end up thinking everybody is better than me. And that's no good. That's a worldly mentality. I have a Father in heaven who loves me. He loves me so much that his only, the price on my head was the death and the suffering of his only son, of his eternal son. That is my value, right? And that is your value. And that's, that, I, I must live out of that. I remember once I, had a close friend of ours called Liam Joyce. He worked with us for several years. He's very kind to me, very kind to Jeanette as well. I really appreciated him. He was an older man. And I never had much chance to thank him or or, or whatever, you know, through the years that he had helped us. But one day I was in another church. I was away and there was a few people in the room and someone turned to me and said, oh, do you see that man over there? That's Liam Joyce's son. Well, is it? I thought. Do you know my heart was instantly instantly disposed in favor to that boy? I instantly turned and, 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 and wanted to bless him, to show him grace and favor, because he was the son of the father who had blessed me, right? And so it is with us. Jesus has died for you, and his father looks at you 
and wants to show you favor, wants to bless your life. Amen? You're, we're chosen, we're selected, we're pulled out of the world, saved by God. This is where our value must come from. But the truth is that as we grow up, society puts different values on us. And if we're not careful, we end up living out of that. You know, kids get their value out of what they have, you know, like new shoes or new tracksuit, right? It's all about what they have, what I own. And as you get a little bit older, that starts to change. When you get to their teenage years, their whole value is in what they do. The youth club, the thing that they're acceptance, you know, that they're in this group or that group. But what about adults? Well, we get our value, if we're not careful, out of who we are. And that's why comparison can be such a trap. And you've got to be careful. As I say, it's a ministry-stopping problem. We automatically come to compare ourselves. You know, that's just the natural train of thought that the mind will take you on. And you just can't live like that. I laugh at myself. I was in uh, Texas and I was with Pastor Rick Seward. Some of you will know him. He's a pastor of a very large church and an international apostle, very well known around the world. And we were in a room of about 30, 40 Texan pastors. Now, I don't know if you've ever stood in front of 30 or 40 Texan pastors, but I can tell you it's a pretty intimidating sight, really and truly. Um, no offense to anybody from Texas here, but it really was. And I was sitting there and the, the, the schedule came out. Pastor Rick was speaking first, and I was on after him. Do you know the first thing I did? <laughs> Comparison. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was terrified. I was really frightened. And I, you know, sitting there, sort of, these guys are scary, man. And I looked, just happened to, 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 to glance sideways at, and caught Pastor Rick, and he was terrified too. So I was over the moon about that. It really made me feel so much better, honestly. But I was sitting there with a comparison mindset. What on earth am I doing that for? Carnal mind, that is. But the truth is, when God asks you to do something, why do we say no? Why do we step back from it? Is it because you think of others in that same ministry, in that same role? Well, be careful. Comparison is a ministry-stopping problem, and it comes to the surface whenever God turns up on the scene. I'll mention tonight just three biblical characters, and you will see very clearly how they responded and what it did for them. It didn't do much for them until God sorted them out. The first one is Joshua. Remember, Joshua has been following Moses for 40 years, and then the day comes when Moses dies, <laughs> and it's over to you, Josh. Off you go. And what does he do? What's the first words out of his mouth? Even after all that training, 40 years of training, the first words out of this man's mouth, and this is no weakling, right? This is a strong and mighty man of God. First words out of his mouth, oh God, I can't do it because I am not as strong as, I am not as holy as, right? And I'm not as courageous as. Every single thing was a comparison. So here he's being offered this great honor, and I know it's a great challenge, but he hasn't half had a lot of you know, time to get used to it, 40 years, you know. And the first thing he says and, and turns back to God, can't do it because I'm not like someone else. I didn't ask someone else, I asked you. And you need to face this thing head on in your life. I'm telling you, if we're, if we're ever going to move with God, every single person 
God can put his finger on you and give you direction. But if you're going to play this comparison card, you're never going to go anywhere or do anything. You'll always step back, and you can't do that. Don't fall for it. A, a well-known pastor in Ireland called Peter Finch. He, he's, Peter's just full of the love of God. He's a lovely, lovely, lovely man. And just got a grace upon him that's exceptional. And he was in charge of, of, of Calvary Christian Center, as it was then known in Dublin. And the day came when he was leaving, and I was going to take over that church. And I would go around the city, and people knew that was going to happen. And many people said to me, you're taking over from Peter? Whoa. I wouldn't fancy doing that. Well, actually, I don't fancy doing it either. And it was kind of stressful, you know. And I remember the first day came, first morning, first, you know, up into the pulpit. And I got up into the pulpit and I stood there in front of this congregation that were all his people. And he's a, a, an absolute man of God, full of such love. And I stood up there and I said, oh, I said, listen, folks, please, I am not Peter Finch. Okay, and I'm not going to try to be Peter Finch because that's not who I am. Okay, so right from the start, let's get one thing clear. I cannot be held accountable to be someone I'm not. I am not him. He's gone. Moses is dead. He wasn't dead. You know. <laughs> that's over. And I am me. And I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. And that's what I said to them. I will let you be you if you will let me be me. And you know that place went, Yes! And I never had an issue except with one woman. There's always one, isn't there? <laughs> a few months went by, and this one woman called me one day, and she said, excuse me, Pastor Mike, I want to say something to you. You're not very like, oh, here we go, I know Peter. You're not very like Pastor Peter. And I remember I answered her not, I answered her out of my spirit, I think, because he just came to say, I said, neither are you. Hallelujah. <laughs> neither are you. And she didn't like that. And it just kept coming. I said, I'll tell you something else. I think I'm better to be in charge than you. Hallelujah. Right? See, comparison, she was trying to put a comparison onto me. Do you know what comparison will do? It'll land right back in your lap. Right? If you're going to play the comparison game, and you're saying I'm not like Peter, well, let's just look at your life then. And let's see how you measure up. And she didn't like that. And she was, she was gone. I don't want to play this game. But that's what comparison does. You cannot win. You will either be thinking of yourself as lower than, or you'll be thinking of, thinking of yourself as greater than, and both of them are wrong. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but neither are we to be put down by this carnal mind. So there's a medium pitch here that I am who I am. I'm, the, I'm who God made me, and I will live that out. And God accepts me as I am now. Right? And I don't live up and don't have to live up to your standard. So you may have this demand that, well, I'm not going to play that game, so like it or lump it. Amen. And Joshua needed to learn to come into that in order to fulfill his ministry. And all I'm saying, folks, is it's the same today. It's the same all around this church, <laughs> I can tell you, because I know you. And God will come to you with this challenge or that challenge, and so many of you back off, and I challenge you. Why do you do that? Why do you back off? Why do we stop moving forward? Is it because of this? Or is this one of the reasons in any arena of your life? Tease it out and deal with it. Joshua did. God began to say to Joshua, prophetic word, be courageous, therefore. Be holy as Moses was holy. 
right? Do not be fearful. And began to speak in the word. And to his credit, Joshua received it. Case in point number two, Gideon. Look at Gideon, in fact. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Once again, it's a very familiar story. You know that what happened. God came to Gideon and challenged him about what he was about to do. Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Because of your mind. Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? When, when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon replied, look at this. How can I save Israel when my clan, it's a comparison, when my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family? Look, look, folks, when offered a challenge from God, and once again, it's not a weakling, it's a man of God here. When offered a challenge, a task, Gideon, this is what I want you to do instantly. I don't come from a good enough family. So what he said. My clan, you're asking me. I'm from Postle Park. I can't do that, right? You're asking, my clan is the weakest. And you can see God, you know, thinking in those scriptures there, God, I didn't ask you anything about your clan. I didn't compare you with anybody, Gideon. I'm talking to you. And by the way, Gideon, you're still being created here. I'm speaking in what I want you to be. And you just need to grab that and, and, and work it out. I tell you what, folks. It's you know, one of the things that, that scares me over the years in seeing people coming in and out of ministry is this. Don't mess with God. Don't play games with open doors. When God offers you something, you need to be very careful about saying no. Very careful. When he offers something and puts it before you, watch it. Respect that and rise to the challenge. Change your life. Change your mind. Change everything that needs to be changed and honor the Lord. But I could state a few instances of people that we have gone to and I know that God's been in their lives and offered them ministry openings of this and they say, oh no, I, and for a multitude of reasons, they shy off. I think, you know what, pal, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want to have that in my mind. You don't know if God comes back, he'd just go to someone else. Do you know if we don't share the gospel, he says even the stones will cry out? Do you know that? That if he challenges you to do something and you shy off, God will go and find someone else. I never want that to happen to me. I really don't. I think that's a, a tragedy. We were doing a youth event once, and it wasn't our church. It was another church. I was just asked to oversee the event, you know? So I got there, it was strange territory, I looked around, but our team were doing the worship and all that kind of stuff. And you come in, you set up, and there was a visiting speaker from the biggest church on earth, David Yonggi Cho's church, you know. So I was sitting there, the, the speaker arrived, and it was a youth night. And all the youth started to arrive, and the speaker arrived, and they brought him in and introduced him to me. <laughs> Trouble was, this was not a speaker like any speaker I'd ever seen before. And I, 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 I've worked with the, the mentally handicapped and educationally uh, 
people with, with problems in that area for many years, so I'm not making fun of anybody when I say this, but this is what the man was doing. He was like, boom, 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 boom. And I, I sort of said hello to him, and I left him at that end of the, the thing, and I went up the other end, and boom, 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 boom. I started to look and think, it's the speaker <laughs> for the youth event. That's him. And a little bit of time went by, and, it, and this guy's bobbing around, and I'm thinking, it's going to be a good night. Praise the Lord. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> and the worship leader came over and said, when I want to talk to you. Took me outside. You can't let that guy speak. I said, I know. <laughs> Trouble is, he's come with a letter from David Yonggi Cho. And I said, you can't let him speak. I said, let me think about it. So they got ready and said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. He's, he's very strange. But he's got a letter of recommendation. And I said, you know what we'll do? We'll take the risk. That's what we'll do. Let's stick him up there. If it all goes wrong, we'll just grab him off and we'll step in, right? <laughs> so I tell you, with, with, I mean, there wasn't a huge meeting, 100, 150 youth, something like that. But with fear and trembling, I got up because you're responsible. With fear and trembling, I got up and I said, right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. I'm just going to invite, I can't remember his name. And up he got, boom, power, the power of God, the anointing of God upon someone who was born with a broken mind. And I have no doubt that the anointing, because these are like mantles, I have no doubt that the mantle that was on that mentally handicapped man had been previously offered to many a person who said, well, actually, I've got other things to do. Actually, I'm too busy. Actually, I've just bought two yoke of oxen or whatever. And I have no doubt, but that mantle was offered and offered. And then God said, okay, you don't want to do it. There's plenty. I'll, I'll raise up a stone and I'll use a stone. Now, you watch it, folks. When God starts to move, and starts to put a challenge your way. If I was you, I'd put down whatever I'm doing. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Do you know, I love this church. I think it's absolutely fantastic. But one of the only things, and some of you know, because I've shared this with you. One of the only things that has ever bothered me about this church is careers. Because I believe some of you put your career before your ministry. And that's not acceptable. And time and time again, I've heard people make decisions based upon their career path. We can all do that. We can all do that. You've, that's a foolish thing to do. Now, I know with many professionals, I'm not talking about everybody. I'm just talking every now and again. It worries me because you meet people and you just know their decision is being made upon their career. And God has not got that first place in their life. So Gideon, he comes, he's frightened, he feels he's from a low class, if you like, and he doesn't think he can rise to the challenge, but once again, just like Joshua, to Gideon's credit, God starts to speak prophetically, creatively into him, and he receives it. Praise God, things can change, amen. Things can change. You may say, well, today, this evening, in this place, you're like this. Well, God can speak to you and make you like that. And that's what was happening here. So God speaks to Gideon. No doubt he's always had that mentality. Everybody's better than me mentality. And God says, you, come here. Up, Gideon, mighty man of valor. That's creative. 
That's prophetic. And Gideon changes his mind. Right? And these things are here that we might learn from them. He did what Joshua did. It was a battle of words, wasn't it? For Gideon. All those years, what would have been coming out of his mouth was negative, 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 negative. But from this point on, in the end, he said, right, by the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So he had changed his mind. You notice one interesting thing about every character that God changes. He doesn't change Joshua's opinion of God. He changes Joshua's opinion of Joshua. He doesn't change Gideon's opinion of God. He doesn't even mention himself. When God speaks to Gideon, it's all about Gideon's perspective of Gideon. And the last character tonight, Jeremiah. Once again, everybody knows it. We know it backwards. God comes to Jeremiah and tries to challenge him and raise him up. What did he say? You can't use me, God. I am too young. I am only a child. And it's true. It's absolutely true. In many places, many instances, you will be judged for your age. But God spoke right back to him. In fact, look at it. Jeremiah chapter 1. Look what God said to him. It's fantastic. It shows the power of speech. He says, do not say. The word of the, chapter 1 verse 4. The word of the Lord came to be saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And this is Jeremiah's reply. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said. I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, look at those words, do not say, I am only a child. Don't speak that into yourself, Jeremiah. What have I just said to you? Stop speaking the negative and start speaking in my prophetic word to you. Now, I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And the next words out of your mouth, Jeremiah, what do I want to hear you say? I am a prophet to the nations. That's what God says I am. That's what I am. We've got to not just change their mind, but change our speech. You know what they say, we are what we eat. And I think some of us need, we really need this diet brushed up big time. They say the biggest problem in America with the, with the diet plans, you know, there's all these diet deals and everything else. But what, one of the biggest issues they've faced is there's a wealth of diet type foods but what the population are doing is they're eating the diet food and then they're eating the junk food as well. <laughs> they eat a bit of both. Or overdose on 10 diet bars, you know. It's only supposed to eat one. You know, the, the whole thing goes crazy. I'm just saying, you, you, you can't be in church on Sunday, amen, amen, and then walk out the door and speak negatively about yourself. You're like a man who looks in the mirror and has forgotten what he looked like. Amen? We can't have a... That's double-mindedness. That's what that is. So here we are in church. And we agree that Joshua was changed by God and was right to be so. We agree that Gideon was changed by God and was right to be so. And we agree that Jeremiah had to rise to the challenge by believing that these were the scriptures that spoke about him. You know, Jesus, one of the first, who is it, Stephen Covey says, the last thing that many Christians learn, or many people learn, is what should have been the first. The last thing. And the first battle that Jesus had to face against Satan was a battle over his own identity. Over who he, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, a challenge, a challenge, a challenge, 
against who he was. Once again, you see, you've got your upbringing, stating your value, stating your worth. And Jesus replied each time from the scriptures. In another place, he said this. These are the scriptures that speak about me. Amen? Well, these are the scriptures here, friends, that speak about you. And all the promise, all the things that God has there for your life, for your future, are tied up here in these pages. And you need to find them, seek them out, and then make them the foundation on which you stand. Amen? If God can change Joshua, and he did, he can change you. If God can change Gideon, who was hiding when the word of the Lord came, he can change you. And there's no excuse. You can't have any. I mean, they had courage. They had fear of holiness. Not holy enough. Not courageous enough. Not brave enough. Not old enough. All better than mentalities. And I challenge you, folks. There's a lot of work to do. And we need all hands on deck. And I challenge you to think about your own life and your own future. And when God comes by your way, make sure you're in. Make sure you're available. And be ready for any instruction, no matter where he might guide you. Be willing and open to obey him. Amen? Amen. Amen. The days are short, you know. The days are short. The, the, the clock is ticking. We're almost done. It's almost over. Right? So we're, it, it's, it's all going to wind up very soon. So let's get ready for that. Invite the worship team back. Father, I pray that we would take seriously and take to heart the Word of God, that you are a God who changes people. You are a God who can speak creatively and prophetically to us tonight. Let's just stand to our feet, folks. I want you to close your eyes and just give God a moment in your mind and in your life. Father, as we look at Easter and we begin to start a new year, I pray we would do so in every department of our lives. We would not block you out in any way. And God, what you call us to do, may we do. Whatever ministry, whatever it is, give us the grace and the courage to obey you and to do it. And God, may a, a stone never do what we were supposed to do. So God, forgive us and help us to rise to every challenge. In Jesus' name.